I don't know about you guys, but I'm a little sore today. Got a bad hip, bad ankle. Kind of feel like an Army football player, just saying. <laughs> no, no kidding, man. I, I was texting with my son yesterday, and he was on a ship in the South China Sea. and kind of hazardous duty, and he managed to get up and watch the game on his phone at 5 a.m., and uh, what I realized is anybody that serves our country, I'm, I'm all in. You want to go to West Point, you want to go to Coast Guard, you want to go to Navy, whatever. God bless you. So, friends, today we're in Luke chapter 3. And uh, the title is, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. He doesn't have any grandchildren. So, anyway, if you'd open your Bible, or if you would open your Bible app to Luke 3. And it starts out um, basically with John the Baptist uh, preaching in the desert, he was preaching a baptism, calling people to repentance, to turn away from their sin, to have a change, literally have a change of mind, turn away from their sin and turn to the Lord. Um, and he says, uh, he's quoting Isaiah the prophet, he says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked roads shall become straight. The rough way is smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. So I don't know if you know this or not, but in the old days, when kings would go to visit a place, they would let it be known that they were coming, and a herald would come, and all the people in these rural town places, just like in Rwanda, right, they would get their little picks and hoes and shovels or whatever they had, and they would fill in the roads so when the king would come, it was all smooth, and so John was appointed by God, he was anointed by God to be that voice, to call Israel, to call God's people, to turn from their sin and be ready for Messiah. And so there we pick it up. Verse 7, it says, John, so basically the crowds were coming out to be baptized, the crowds were. And John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized, hey, thanks for coming. How does he start a sermon? This is, you want to make a short career in the ministry? Start out like this. He says, you brood of vipers. In other words, you, you bunch of snakes. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Not exactly an opening we would use as we start a sermon. But there was something that God gave John the Baptist. God was very angry with certain people because they were play-acting, they were pretending to be very religious. Look at me, look how religious I am. Aren't I a great person? And so when they came out to be baptized for the repentance of sin, what God knew, which maybe the people didn't, what God knew is they didn't have any desire to humble themselves, none at all. They were only going out to do this baptism so people could go, look how spiritual they are. Look how religious and faithful they are. When in fact, the internal reality did not match the external act. It was as if there was a Hollywood set. You've seen them, right? But behind it is nothing. I remember going in seminary to the old PTL headquarters. It was a beautiful campus. and It was all that... Uh, that kind of brick where it's like one long, one short, one long, one short, and had slate roofs. It's gorgeous, except for when you went inside the buildings. When, when you went inside these beautiful, historic, Williamsburg-looking buildings, they were stunning. You go inside, and they're completely empty, and they had 
uh, vinyl or linoleum floors. They were, they were recording studios, but the outside looked so good. Anyway, John says to the crowd who are coming out to be baptized, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. See, we actually think that Jesus is our buddy. He's kind of a doting Santa Claus, and all he's going to do is put his arms around everyone. Well, he would love to put his arms around everyone. Um, However, he is a holy God, and he calls us to turn away from things that not only destroy us, but destroy and hurt other people. Turn away from our sin, turn to him. And he wants us to be his kids, not just have an outward form of religion. I understand about having an outward form of religion. I was an acolyte in the church, one of those guys that wears the little robe and carries the cross. I did that for years, and I appreciated it. I loved kind of the feeling and emotions of it, but I didn't know Christ. And so these people coming out to be baptized actually were play actors. They're very religious Jews. In fact, a good deal of them were the ones who actually put Jesus to death. And, and God, through John the Baptist, is speaking actually a word to them to turn and truly repent. So it says, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath. And then in verse 8, he's speaking to these Jews who had this great outer appearance. He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, these, uh, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The first thing he was saying is, look, if you truly have turned away from your sin, and it's a gift to even be able to do that, but if you've turned away from your sin and t- turned towards God, well, if you take a snapshot at any moment of your life, it may look pretty rough. But if you take the whole video, over time, there should be some change in your life if God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, if you actually have turned from your sin to the Father, there should be some change. Annette and I planted dogwood trees, one in the backyard, one in the front yard. We moved in our house when? December 23rd. That's always a great idea. Uh, December 23rd, 1989, was it, Annette? And we planted one little dogwood in the front and one in the back. After what, we've been in the house, what, 30-some years? I think it was last year I went out and I, and I look at the one, in the, the tree in the back, the one that I shoot my deer through. It's so thick, it's so big, it's so beautiful. Bless that dogwood. But in the front, it looks like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And Annette has done everything. She's put, you know, uh, not Roundup, what's the stuff that makes stuff grow? <laughs> Miracle grow, thank you. That, maybe that was the problem, it was Roundup, I don't know, but... She put miracle grow. She kind of dug around it and put better soil. We prayed over it. You know, we, we, we kind of laughed about Jesus cursing the tree that didn't bear fruit. But bottom line, after years of trying to help this tree, it just would not grow. It wouldn't produce fruit. It was about this big and bare and spindly like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. And the other one was, whew. And so I cut it down, cut it down. And what he's saying here is to these very religious people, he's saying, look, If you really love the Lord, the one that you say you love and serve, then produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And I would say it's not really a work. It's actually an outflow of a reality. If you're in Christ and if you have the Holy Spirit, if you have a heart for God, which is actually given by God, there eventually will be some fruit. 
And if there is no fruit, it begs a question, right? And, and so here we get to this awesome part. He says, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Father Abraham had many sons, right? Okay, so the Jews knew that God made a promise to Abram, or really Abraham. And he said, you know, I've got a covenant with you, and it's going to last, and I'm going to be faithful, and I'm going to be your God. And so people just kept remembering, we have Abraham as our father. We have Abraham as our father. Never mind that we don't know God. Never mind that we don't love God. But we, we've got a good pedigree. I remember when I came to Roanoke, there was a lady from South Roanoke. And hey, if you're from South Roanoke, not busting on you, just giving you a location. And we were at a, a cocktail party somewhere. And um, I was just 29 years old. I looked like I was 15. And I was just having a nice conversation with this lady. And then she found out I wasn't from here. And... So she kept kind of digging on me. Oh, you from that Holy Roller Church, Church of the Holy Spirit. And then she proceeded to tell me about her father and her grandfather and how they came, on, came over in the Mayflower. And I was like, great, half of them didn't have any teeth. They smelled, they hadn't had a bath in three months and some of them got out of prison, whatever. She kept trying to create this scenario for me of like, we're great because we've been here forever. We're great because we have a great pedigree. And excuse me, I should have been more sensitive. But, you know, food was falling out of her mouth. She was a little intoxicated, and I just had it. And I said, ma'am, could I just be honest with you? I'm from Richmond, and we didn't even know Roanoke existed. <laughs> Bad pastor. <laughs> but the point is, these Jews that were coming out and putting on a show you know, seemingly, hey, look at us, we're turning from our sin. They weren't. But they were banking, they were depending on their right standing with God based on who, uh, who was their great, 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 great grandfather. In other words, we have Abraham. We have a pedigree. And what God is going to say here is, I don't really care who your great, 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 great grandfather is. We often have people come in for marriage counseling. We want to find out, are we joining two people who are equally yoked? But we also want to make sure that they're equally yoked in Jesus, that they build their, their house on, on the rock, not on good wishes, emotions, and feelings. And so oftentimes we'll just ask the question, tell me, tell me about your relationship with Christ if you have one. And then usually they jump in and say, well, my uncle was a Methodist minister. I didn't really ask you about your uncle. I just want to know, do you have a relationship with Christ? And they'll tell me some other religious stuff or how their grandfather and grandmother built a church out there somewhere. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what we're asking. What we're asking is, do you know the Lord? Because the Lord actually loves you enough that he wants you as a child. He didn't want you to be, you know, uh, three, four, five generations removed from a relationship with him. He wants you personally to know him. And so appreciate that your uncle was a Methodist minister, or in this case, appreciate that uh, you had Father Abraham. But I tell you this, out of these stones before you, God can raise up children for Abraham, right? If that's the only requirement to, to be in the kingdom of God, God can do this and make stones children of Abraham. One commentator said this, they were claiming uh, we're in the lineage of Abraham, 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 Abraham. He goes, but what they what they didn't realize is you got to have the faith of Abraham. It's not just that we have a, a line that we can draw, a pedigree, 
But, it, but Abraham was justified by faith. And so if you're gonna claim Abraham and that you're his kids, his real kids are actually people that have faith. The Bible says that not all of Israel is Israel. Only those who are circumcised of heart. And so Jesus is basically calling them out. And he says this in verse 9. <laughs> it says, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. See, God is a holy God. Yes, he is loving. He's kind. He's a friend that's closer than a brother. He weeps. He cares. He comes alongside. But he's also a holy God. And friends, the church has lost this teaching. The very fact that God is holy is why he's loving. His holiness is a sign of his love. And so it says, The axe is laid at the root. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And then, just kind of a, that was kind of a punch in the nose, if you will, to these play actors, these religious people. Verse 10 says, Well, what then shall we do? The crowd said. It's kind of like, What must I do to be saved? They're basically saying, Jesus, or sorry, John, what must we do? And John answered, verse 11, the man with two tunics shall share with one, him who has none. The one who has food should do the same. And so we're going to see three pictures here. We're going to see the crowd. We're going to see tax collectors, soldiers. We're going to see the crowd. We're going to see tax collectors who were coming forward and soldiers. And when the crowd came forward, what did Jesus say? Hey, look, if you got clothes, plenty of them, share them. Because there are a lot of people who don't. I remember a couple years ago, it was literally uh, 10 degrees, maybe colder. I went to a uh, recruiting station with a kid that was born in Sudan. And uh, I was freezing. And I had like this really nice down jacket, really expensive down jacket. And this kid shows up and he has like a Walmart cotton hoodie that probably was good down to about 60 degrees. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And it was my favorite down coat, you know. But it was without hesitation. I'm like, well, I've got another jacket. It's not as nice as this one. I got another one at home. This kid's going to, he's going to freeze to death. Well, wouldn't it just make sense to give him this jacket? It's not because I'm pious or great or whatever. It's just the love of God. That's what you would do. And so my boy, my Sudanese boy, my friend, he was sporting a nice jacket. Because that's what generous people do. That's what kingdom people do. That's what people who love God do. We share, and we don't do it to be seen by men, but we do it because we can't help it. The love of God of Christ is in us. And so that's what he told the crowd. And now in verse 12, here comes the second group, the tax collectors. The tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said, teacher, what should we do? And what do you reckon, what do you reckon they said? To John, what did he say back to him? Verse 13, he says, don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Um, in other words, tax collectors, how did they make their money? A tax collector usually was a Jew who was hired by Rome to take taxes from Jewish people. And so they're like, okay, here's the amount. Maybe you sit at the gate, right? And when people are coming and going on this road, here is the tax, whatever it is. And they said, hey, anything over and above that that you can get is yours. And so they would add maybe double, maybe triple the tax so that they could enrich themselves while ripping off their fellow Jews. 
And so when they say, teacher, what do we have to do to bear fruit worthy of repentance? He says, stop ripping people off. God actually cares about how we act. Is doctrine important? Yes. Bad doctrine leads to bad practice. Bad doctrine leads to hurting people. But what he's saying is, he's not going anti-doctrine, but what he's saying is, I also care how you live. I care how you treat people. I really do. I want you to be at that light on the hill. And you guys, you're cheating your, your brothers and sisters. So stop cheating them. Stop. Now comes the third group. Verse 14. Then some soldiers came up to John the Baptist. And they said, what should we do? Personally, after seeing the first two groups, I probably wouldn't have asked the question, but they did. What should we do? And John the Baptist replies, because he's, he's not messing around. Here's a guy who eats locusts and wears camel's hair, right? He's not playing around. He says, well, just cutting right to the chase, uh, stop extorting money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. See, so many of these things revolve around wealth and possessions, right? The, the first one's the crowd. He says, if you have extra clothes, share them, or extra tunic, share them. Uh, the second group is the tax collector. Stop ripping people off. And the soldiers, he's basically saying, stop using your position of power to, to extort money and rip people off. Be content with your pay. And so maybe the obvious question from all three groups is, what would be the sign that we're believers based on how we steward God's stuff? Hey, don't worry. This is not the annual tithing sermon. But it is, generosity is all through the scriptures. And what he's saying here is, the way you handle God's resources is a sign. It's a litmus test. Just like if you have a hot tub or a pool and you put that strip down in there and it tells you the pH. It don't lie. And so what he's saying is, the way you handle God's resources and the generosity of your heart is a clear sign of who you really are. And whether you have a relationship with God or just outward spirituality in verse 15 it says this and says and the people were waiting expectantly and they were all wondering in their hearts if john the baptist might be the christ the people were waiting expectantly all wondering in their hearts if john might be the christ do you ever have that sense of waiting as you look out at the world do you ever think this is not how it should be like, Lord Jesus, save us, we're perishing. Lord, when are you going to come? There are a lot of horrible things that go on in this world. On the out, outside, it looks so pretty. And there are good things in our world. Could we celebrate that and say yes to that? But there's, there's such a brokenness underneath. Such a brokenness. And, and there's a sense in us where we're waiting and we're longing for God to come for everything that is crooked to be made straight and everything that is lifted up to be leveled and everything that's a rut to be filled in. We want God to come and make all things right and we're waiting because we know that the kingdom of God is not like this. John answered them, he goes, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come uh, later, i.e. Jesus, the thong of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
we'll end on verse 17. It says, his winnowing fork, the Lord's winning, winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barns and he will burn, not just burn, but burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached good news to him. Whew. Does that seem like good news to you? What if your identity's in Christ, if you've received the gift of faith that he's given you, it is good news. It just doesn't sound like good news. But do you see the picture? Imagine you're in Israel. You're there on the threshing floor. And you've got, you've got wheat and you've got some kind of implement, farm implement, and you're throwing the wheat up in the air, and the breeze or the wind that seemed to always be around, right, when you throw the wheat up, the wind would come and blow what? It'd blow the chaff, the little particulate and the, the non-wheat part, it'd blow it away, and the wheat would fall to the ground. And so the chaff is over here, the stuff you can't eat, that can't, can't use, but the wheat actually got put in the barn. And so this is a foreshadowing of the holiness of God. There will be a time where the Lord, who loves the world, who wishes that none would perish, in his holiness, he's not going to force anybody to love him. And there will be a day, Matthew 25 talks about sheep and goats. This passage talks about wheat and chaff. There will be a day where our holy God will come with his winnowing fork, and there will be a separation of wheat and chaff. Those who've actually received the gift of grace and put on the Lord Jesus as witness and evidenced by fruit. And others who are just play actors or could in fact be God haters. Friends, in this time of waiting, I pray that you will not settle for an outward form of godliness. You would not settle that your uncle was a Methodist minister or your great-great-grandfather and grandmother built a church out in St. Swithin's in the swamp. But you would recognize God's call to you is to be his child and to represent him in this world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.